0: Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base
1: Space. Welcome to the Base Space. Uh, For those new, this is a crypto podcast hosted by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo, um, and also Chase Coins and Super High. And we focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, and education in the crypto industry. Today we have the honor of having Kane, founder of Synthetics. Uh, we're a super pumped, man, to have you on the show. Welcome.
2: Yeah, thanks. I'm excited. Should be fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should, it'll be a blast, bro. Um, yeah, so it's kind of tradition here at the base space for every anyone new that we bring on the show. We always like to learn how they got started in crypto. So, would love to hear your story.
2: Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, real quick, um, I uh, started a payment gateway, uh, it was like basically local, local payments, you could walk in and, um, and uh, buy stuff for cash. Um, and we started working with a, a bunch of the uh, crypto brokerages, um, you know, CoinSpot, um, CoinJar, uh, which is I think the earliest kind of crypto exchange slash brokerage in Australia. They started in back in like 2012. Um, so yeah, we, we supported that and that's how I like really kind of got deep into, into crypto back in 2014.
1: That's super sick. And like, how'd you, how'd you then make your way to actually like founding Synthetics and, and coming up with the, the concept?
2: Yeah. So, um, I was a Bitcoin maxi for, for a long time. Um, I like kind of dabbled in, you know, I, I read that same slash thread that a lot of people read. Uh, back in like 2011 and, and dabbled in like running a Bitcoin miner and stuff. I was one of those people that would, you know, build my own PCs and, you know, likes getting my hands dirty with with all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, when, after we launched BlueShift, the the payment gateway and, um, you know, volumes through like 2016 and, uh, and 2017 really started picking up. Um, I, you know, got kind of deeper into the Ethereum community and and you know got really excited about what smart contracts could do. Um but I particularly saw this like stablecoin problem as, as something that was, you know, pretty uh pretty critical. Um obviously at that time like Tether was really kind of the only viable option, um, stablecoin wise. Um and, you know, I like a lot of people, uh, had concerns about the the sort of uh, I guess viability of that model in, in terms of scaling and a whole bunch of other things. And so, you know, I looked at Maker and BitShares and, and you know, some of the other models that have been proposed. Um, and coming from an online retail background, I sort of had this idea that, like, if you wanted a stable coin, if you wanted uh, a payment network, someone needed to be paying for the operation of that network um and so the idea was with haven basically to create this like closed loop payment network that people would pay to transact within which kind of made sense except implementation wise it was a total clusterfuck and it just didn't work and erc20 tokens that uh you know charge fees to be transferred are just not really a viable model um and so you know in i guess late 2018 after launching um the initial like stablecoin and, and you know, kind of running it for about six months even though the system kind of worked and was stable uh it just wasn't that scalable and so we decided to pivot to more like generalized synthetic assets and launch like synthetic bitcoin synthetic ether um, synthetic gold and silver and that started to get uh, a lot more traction
1: yeah yeah we're we're all like super familiar with your work and and the tremendous success of the synthetics and how big you guys have grown um I'm super curious, like throughout your time of building Synthetics, like what has been your biggest takeaway or biggest lesson um, that you've that you've learned from building up the protocol?
2: I don't know. There's too many lessons. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think the thing that Synthetics has done and the community has done really well um, has been to just kind of continue to um, operate these like iterative experiments. Right. So rather than, uh, you know, back in the day, um, you know, go, go back to like even like 2016, um, a lot of the uh, systems that were proposed and designed were designed with this like heavily waterfall style software development um, concept. So basically, you know, uh, Augur is a great example of this, right? Like design this like perfect system in a vacuum and then go away and like try and build it for like 18 months and then deliver it um and i think that one thing that we did in synthetics was to kind of challenge that model and say you there's no way for you without market feedback to be able to build something um that is going to be optimal right Um, and so actually it'd be better to start off with something simple and then iteratively modify that over time um and you know in order to do that you needed uh, to kind of throw away this concept of like immutable contracts and, and basically, um, you know, have, have contracts that could be upgraded. Um, we were probably the first project, I would say, that really like leaned into that heavily um, and, and, you know, kind of made it a bit more acceptable to do like contract upgrades and, and to have governance and multi-sigs and things like that that could, could you know, kind of modify contracts uh, before before synthetics and even, you know, for a long time after we did it, Uh, it was just you know considered um, not ideal basically to to take that approach wow that's super interesting I didn't realize that
1: but in the past like people didn't think that that was like an ideal solution that's that's kind of
2: strange (laughs) not not only did they not think that it was an ideal solution they thought that if you did something like this you were a monster like you can go back and read some of the reddit threads and like we would just get absolutely like raked over the coals for uh for you know having like proxy contracts and and things like that and even like the proxy contract architecture um you know back then was like very very weak right there were a few options like open zeppelin had a proxy architecture we ended up kind of designing uh sort of our own proxy contracts which um you know became painful later on but yeah like this at at a very like fundamental ideological level this was a a huge challenge to this like immutable smart contract uh, ideal that people had been you know talking about since ethereum launched
0: hey kane just to like switch uh gears here and talk more about synthetics um at a at a high level can you talk about some of the products that are powered by synthetics like quenta the uh derivatives trading platform
2: yes so, uh, so you know, synthetics um, as a protocol basically is a, is a kind of a, a system of debt, right? So people uh, lock collateral in the form of SNX, um, ETH, and, and some other um, collateral assets, um, LUSD, uh, for example, um, and then they issue debt against them. Um, but that debt has this kind of cool property where um, you've got this Oracle system that if you're holding debt denominated in let's say Bitcoin, you can instantly convert that debt into another denomination, let's say Euros. Right. Um, and what that means is that you you have this kind of you know system of assets that are all effectively fungible and can be converted into one another very easily. Um, that allows for you to do some cool things right you can you build like a an exchange that you know allows for deep liquidity between a whole bunch of you know uh, fiat currencies and and bitcoin or eth or litecoin or whatever um when we launched uh the protocol initially we were the ones who had to kind of design the front end system um so you know we had multiple attempts at designing this like front end exchange system um but the reality is that like building a protocol um, as complex as synthetics and building like a user experience and onboarding process and, and interfaces and all that stuff is kind of incompatible. And so we actually decided um, probably going back like almost two years ago now that this was just not the optimal solution. And so we spun out Quenta as a way of effectively allowing for someone else to kind of have uh, the, the primary role of like building the user interfaces. And for us, as the synthetics community to just focus on the protocol itself and, and, you know, delivering the contracts and all that sort of stuff. So that's where Quenta emerged out of. Um, But then, you know, there's been other protocols like DeHedge um, that take advantage of of some of the synthetics properties to allow, um, you know, for like decentralized fund management, um, which has been a challenging problem for a while um, because you don't want your fund manager to rug you. Um, And so synthetics gives you the ability to like ensure that a fund manager um, you know, can't take or you know make some portrait or whatever. Um, more recently, uh, with the launch of Optimism and, and the transition um, of the synthetics contracts to Optimism, uh, protocols like Lyra, which is an options protocol, um, have emerged. Which you know, essentially, uh, Lyra is this uh, this options protocol that internally hedges the exposure of all of the options traders within the the AMM against the synthetics protocol. So, you know, there's even more cool kind of use cases that are starting to emerge from having these, some of these like synthetics properties that that I described earlier.
0: And what would you say from like a user perspective is the most like, I I guess like the most appetizing asset or synthetic asset?
2: Yeah. So I guess it depends on the use case, right? For traders, um, I think it still tends to be the the large cap assets. Um, but there are a number of other uh, use cases that have emerged, for example, um, like Curve cross asset swaps. Um, so, you know, one of the amazing things when Curve launched was this like deep liquidity between uh, sort of semi fungible assets, right? Like different wrapped implementations of Bitcoin, for example, right? Um, or different stable coins. And so Curve uh, created the, this, you know, hugely deep liquidity pools for all these different assets. The problem is that they're all siloed. And so, you know, you could trade $50 million worth of USDC into DAI um, with, you know, minimal slippage. But if you wanted to go USDC into wrapped Bitcoin, you would have to go back to Uniswap V2 or, or something like that. Um, and what uh, what synthetics and Curve were able to do, um, you know, working with like Andre and Anton and and a bunch of other people in the space was to build uh, kind of a bridge between these curve pools to leverage the synthetics uh, kind of, you know, Synth fungibility to create bridges. Um, And so, you know, that today remains like one of the biggest use cases of synths. And and a lot of the trading volume comes from those transactions uh, bridging, you know, curve pools where people are doing like $25 million wrapped Bitcoin into DAI trades, for example.
0: Okay, that's super interesting. Um, and then also, I was curious about this
2: partnership with uh, with Gauntlet
0: and how they'll be helping Synthetics with the risk management. Could you touch um,
2: a little bit on that as well? Yeah, so Synthetics is obviously a, a very complex system, um, and over time, uh, many different people within the community and and you know external um, contractors and and other people have kind of helped. To try and model the system and, and understand where the risks are. Um, I think Gauntlet is probably best positioned, you know, given the work that they've been doing for years now, you know, going all the way back to like the original compound uh, analysis, I think was like one of the first major uh projects that they they released. Um, you know, they're in a very, very good position to analyze complex smart contract systems. Um, and so you know, we tried a few different times to like work out a way to kind of get Gauntlet to be able to, to you know, uh, do an analysis of synthetics. Um, and I think we finally like found a model that works and, and you know, we're super excited to be working with them and, and getting them more deeply integrated into the, the community and the ecosystem.
0: Perfect, perfect, and just like my last question before I pass it on to Chase, um, and this spun up just because of recent events, probably the past year, um, how is synthetics adjusting for the raising inflation rate uh,
2: against the U.S. dollar? I don't think that synthetics has any you know particular uh, kind of idiosyncratic risk there, um, if if that makes sense. I think like the 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 macro. Um, sort of conditions that, that we've been watching, as you know, a lot of crypto uh, has has sort of responded to rising interest rates and, and interest rate volatility is kind of the same thing for synthetics. Um, I think particularly the SNX token. Um, you know, so as as we've kind of switched risk off, um, one of the challenges uh, with with synthetics is that SNX is the primary collateral, um, and so if the SNX price is low. Uh, the bandwidth of the system is constrained. We do have other collateral um, forms, you know, things like ETH and, and what have you that are, that do kind of augment this, uh, but it is still kind of a limiting factor. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's probably the only impact that we see directly. Um, but, you know, obviously in, in indirectly, there's a bunch of macro impacts that, you know, synthetics, like other crypto assets is, is exposed to.
3: Kane, you had mentioned uh, you had... Kind of briefly touched the, uh, the topic of utilizing oracles and how that opens up interesting use cases earlier. Um, could you kind of touch on how Synthetics is working with Chainlink currently?
2: Yeah, so you know we've been using Chainlink uh, exclusively, I think, since like late 2019, um, and uh, or sorry, actually, it might have been it might have been that we started, um, I think, initially with like forex currencies, and then we transitioned by 2020 we were exclusively using Chainlink. So it's been a couple years now. Um, where Chainlink has run all of our price feed oracles. Um, and I think that for most people that's what they know Chainlink for. Um, obviously in the last year or so, Chainlink's gotten into other you know, forms of oracles, keepers and things like that. Um, but we've now kind of deepened the relationship where Chainlink has built some bespoke oracles for us, um, which are going to enable like cross-chain messaging between the various synthetic systems. So uh, something that's coming up very soon is this uh, idea of um, merging the two debt pools between synthetics that's running on L1 and synthetics that's running on L2. Um, And Chainlink has basically built the oracles that will allow for that merger to happen, that synthesis.
3: Gotcha. And I believe you you had a pretty base conversation with uh, CLG during East Denver around CCIP. I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that conversation um, or just, you know, how synthetics is uh, potentially thinking about using CCIP in the future.
2: Yeah. So, I, you know, I think right now um, until CCIP is, is sort of production ready, what we've been doing with Chainlink has been kind of building bespoke oracles, um, which is Great. We're lucky to be in a position where uh, Chainlink uh, appreciates us enough to to kind of build bespoke solutions for for synthetics. I think you know it goes back to obviously the kind of deep relationship we've had. We were the first users of, of Chainlink on mainnet. Um, but that's not a scalable uh, approach. So we do need like a more generalized solution uh, because as we expand to other networks and and you have uh, kind of higher demands in terms of the the various forms of information and, and messaging that we need to be sending across networks, um, we need we just need the generalized solution. So for now we've got a bespoke solution, but I think eventually we'll transition to CCIP for everything. Um, and obviously, you know, Chainlink God um, was was very. Uh, friendly enough to come and you know walk us through like with the latest of, of where that's up to and, and speak to the engineering team which you know sounds like it's coming along really well and, and we're obviously very excited for it um but in the interim you know we've got we've got the articles we need nice yeah i, I love that, that you guys are getting all the support
3: um that you guys need <laughs> i'm actually curious like yeah. um i i know for a bit of time there you were having some some strife i think it was late last year with uh, other l1 communities i'm just curious like with CCIP, right, you can have this cross-chain interoperability protocol. So have you guys already um, kind of identified other chains that you guys are looking to launch on?
2: I don't think we have. Um, I know that there's a proposal out there to launch on Polygon, um, which, would, which would probably be the first. Um, so, you know, if uh, once we finish the debt synthesis, uh, Chainlink is, is you know, happy to kind of deploy, deploy these uh, bespoke oracles for us, then um, you know, that, that kind of deployment to Polygon would become possible. Um, one of the nice things, one of the cool things about, about the way that we've designed the system um, is that once the debt synthesis happens and once you know, Chainlink is, is providing this cross-chain uh, sort of bespoke messaging system for us, we will be able to uh, deploy what we're calling Synth Teleporters. Uh, the cool thing about teleporters versus other bridge solutions is you basically inherit the same kind of security properties as you do with the existing synthetic system. Um, so it doesn't really increase the attack surface um, too much. And, and what that means is that if you are holding on let's say, you know, Optimism, $25 million worth of SUSD, you would be able to get that SUSD directly onto Polygon within, you know, a few blocks, let's say. So, you know, call it a minute or so, um, and uh, and wouldn't be limited in terms of, you know, the liquidity that you can get off through like other bridge solutions that are out there in, in terms of fast withdrawals. So that's cool. Um, obviously, you know, being able to move um, large amounts of synths between, you know, Polygon or Optimism or Arbitrum or L1 or or whatever is, is, you know, really nice. Um, But if you go back to uh, the point I made about Curve, um, then you get this really interesting uh, situation where if the synths are bridges across networks, um, you can start to do cross asset swaps. So you could, for example, have a bunch of USDC on Optimism, Go via Curve pool from USDC into SUSD, use the SUSD via teleporter to get onto Arbitrum, let's say, uh, and then convert that SUSD um, into, let's call it, synthetic Bitcoin, and then go into a Curve pool that has synthetic Bitcoin and wrap Bitcoin, and end up with wrapped Bitcoin on the other side. So you can do these like multi-hop trades that you know might take maybe a couple of minutes to settle. Um, but right now, you know, moving, let's say, twenty million dollars worth of USDC uh, between, you know, Optimism and and Polygon as an example, um, and simultaneously converting it into wrap Bitcoin is basically impossible. Um, you know that would take a, mu- a number of trades you'd need to like wait for arbitrage and liquidity or whatever um so this is going to be you know uh, obviously a game changer in terms of like you know cross chain arbitrage and i think the networks themselves will start to get significantly more efficient once uh this is all rolled out um you know in the next like month or two
3: gotcha i, I, I
1: um do we lose kane i'm still here no, he's still here. Oh, okay, okay. So I, think, I think his Wi-Fi's. I think his connection is just a little laggy. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry, guys. Okay. No worries. No, no worries. Um,
3: so, if I, I just kind of want to summarize what what you're saying. So, the the with teleporters, you you don't really have to factor in having liquidity size on other chains, and then also you kind of get the security guarantees of like the core using like ETH L1 chain, but you can kind of use these assets in other ecosystems. Did, did I hear that right?
2: Yeah, that's essentially so. Basically, if you trust Synths, right? If you trust holding SUSD, uh, then you can you know take advantage of these teleporters to get that SUSD wherever you want. Which means that you can then do you know cross chain, cross asset swaps, and and all kinds of you know interesting uh, composable trades, which you know will significantly increase uh, the efficiency of arbitrage across these different networks.
3: Gotcha. Okay, and that that's super interesting. So is that um, is that part of the universal bridging token service or is that just within a uh, synthetic smart contracts that you can, you can have that?
2: This is, this is within the synthetics, uh, smart contracts. So th- this is, this is kind of the interesting thing about, uh, since teleporters versus like a, a universal bridge or something like that. Uh, and just let me know if my, if my internet's choppy, I'll, I'll try and, uh, I'll try and See if I can get to a better place. Um, but basically, you have this issue with bridges, or you have a number of issues with bridges. But one of the issues with bridges is, let's say you're bridging L1 to some new chain, right? Um, and you've got uh, wrapped Bitcoin, right? And a bunch of different people want wrapped Bitcoin on this new magical chain, right? Um, and so you have all these different bridges that are competing to wrap wrapped Bitcoin on L1 and get it over to the other chain. And then you've got kind of competing implementations of this version of wrapped, wrapped Bitcoin, right? Um, wrapped Bitcoin squared, if you will. Um, and you kind of lose fungibility, you lose liquidity, it's less efficient. There's a whole bunch of problems with it. If you use Synths, you don't need to worry about uh, wrapping the asset and storing it on L1 uh, because the synthetics contracts have the ability to mint and burn Synths arbitrarily. You just burn the asset on the network that it was initially, um, you know, originating from, and reminted on the other side. And there's no, you know, liquidity stored in a bridge somewhere on some other chain that you need to secure. the The asset itself is just completely destroyed and, and migrated to the the other network. Hence, the idea of teleportation, right? You know, teleporters work by killing the person on one side and then remaking them on the other side, right? And that's that's how the teleporters work.
1: Very very cool. Um, Kane I, I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit of regulation with you. I was curious like around your thoughts on like the future of regulations for synthetic assets and yeah like what are your general what are your general thoughts on what the future lies for for these type of assets?
2: I think that there are various different asset classes which are more or less triggering uh, for regulators. Um, so, you know, things like gold, for example, um, there's so many different implementations and, and um, exchanges that are trading paper gold and, and what have you. I think the idea of like a synthetic gold token is is just not, um, you know, hugely problematic for regulators. And, and, you know, it doesn't seem to trigger too much of a response. I think when you get into things like, uh, you know, synthetic versions of equities, um, you know, FANG stocks and and things like that, that's when regulators start to get a bit more concerned. Um, And, you know, obviously we've seen that happen in, in, you know, a couple of instances uh, over the last couple of years. Um, So I think the big question for the synthetics community is like, where is the optimal um, kind of trade-off space between um, you know, potential regulatory concerns um, from, from, you know, issuing a certain synthetic asset um, and how much volume and interest it's going to generate. The interesting thing is we actually had synthetic equities on uh, on L1 for quite a while and the trading volumes were very low. Um, and so they were actually purged um, alongside a bunch of other assets that had low trading volumes um, and haven't yet been reissued on Optimism. Um, so there's kind of this open question that the community needs to work through, which is like, does it make sense to have synthetic Tesla on Optimism um, if it's not really going to be traded? I think people have this intuition that like synthetic equities are, are you know super exciting and, and everyone's going to love them. Um, but I think we've tested out a few different times now within the ecosystem um this this thesis and other than for like the purposes of uh of yield farming i don't think we've seen like a huge amount of demand for trading synthetic equities yet now maybe that changes if you have like synthetic options for example right so if you have like a synthetic tesla and then uh, an options protocol like Lyra can issue, you know, uh, puts and calls on that synthetic Tesla, um, or maybe there's like a, you know, a, a futures or a perp um, sort of instrument that allows you to get, you know, 10x leverage on that, then maybe that changes. Um, but I think that's still a thesis that is a bit uncertain, um, based on you know, what we've kind of observed in, in terms of spot trading of those assets.
1: Oh, okay, Interesting. Uh, Is your is your team uh, involved in like lobbying or educating politicians on on these type of synthetic assets or or just crypto in general?
2: Um, I so there's no one specific within the synthetics community. Um, So, you know, we don't really have a team anymore. Right. We've got um, we have contributors that are paid by the Dow that are paid a monthly stipend. Um, so I think uh, this is something that uh, a lot of people um, are not uh, super familiar with in terms of how Synthetics operates. Um, so Synthetics used to be an open source software foundation that was dissolved in 2020, um, so almost two years ago now, um, and the the protocol went to a pure DAO. They're now like four or five different governing bodies within uh, synthetics that are elected by token holders or or through various means that govern the protocol. Um, There's a grants um, council, which would probably be best positioned for kind of lobbying and and those sorts of efforts. Um, To date, I'm not aware that they've funded grants towards lobbying specifically um although i do know that um the grants council you know funds a bunch of things and it wouldn't surprise me if there was something that kind of touched on like educational lobbying or, or what have you um but i mean you know we got the defi education fund i think uniswap did us all a favor and, and spent a bunch of money to um send some people uh, out to washington to lobby on our behalf so um you know we can thank them for that Assuming assume oh. that you, you believe they're doing stuff which I I tend to believe. I think they are actually doing stuff they're maybe just not the best at communicating what they're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 it's possible they could also be doing stuff on their own outside outside of the DOW um, as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, very very cool. Um, I was also interested in like hearing your thoughts on like President Joe Biden's uh, recent executive order, you know, directing agencies across the federal government to to coordinate efforts to kind of gauge like the benefits and risks of a cryptocurrency. Like what was your, what was your kind of initial take on, on the announcement?
2: I think the reality of, of U S politics is that, um, and and I grew up like full disclosure, I grew up in the U S but I'm Australian. Um, that's why my accent sounds weird. Um, and I've spent probably like half my life in, in, um, the U S. Um, so, you know, I'm by no means an, an expert in U.S. politics, but I've had a lot of exposure to it in, in my life. And I think the reality of U.S. politics is that there are a whole bunch of conflicting actors that uh, need to kind of coordinate to come up with any sort of coherent policy. Um, and I think with something like crypto, which is as kind of wide ranging as it is and touches so many different areas, it's hard for, for you know anyone to kind of come up with a, a coherent policy. I think... There was maybe a sense from a lot of people that, um, you know, uh, some of the the regulators that were going to be appointed by Biden um, were going to be more crypto friendly than they turned out to be. And I think we kind of got rugged a little bit. Um, but that said, you know, my view over the long term, like ignoring any specific, um, you know, particular person within within politics, whatever, regardless of the country, is that like crypto is and particularly DeFi is long-term incentive aligned with what regulators want. Like regulators want like efficient markets. They want fair markets. They want transparency. All of the things that regulators want and work really hard to get in, in the TradFi markets are very accessible within DeFi, Um, which doesn't mean that DeFi is perfect. Obviously there's, there's a lot of things that DeFi, you know, globally and could do better um, but fundamentally the technology is there and i think that fundamentally it's an improvement over a lot of how TradFi operates um, you know when you're constantly trying to balance counterparties against each other and, and ensure that markets are operating efficiently um, and then you can replace that counterparty risk um, with like very deterministic um, and transparent rules that are kind of governed by a smart contract i think that you just get a more efficient market out of that, um, it's going to take time for that transition to take place. But I do think that over time, the kind of narrative will shift and that regulators and politicians and you know other people uh, that are obviously much more familiar with TradFi will become more familiar with DeFi and become more familiar with crypto, and it'll become less scary and I think it'll it'll be seen as a tool, and similarly to what happened with the internet, it'll be seen you know as a tool that um, is you know kind of uh, net positive for society. Um, but that process is just going to take time, and it's going to take a while to play out.
3: Kane, I think uh, I think we're yeah, losing think, you again on yeah, your on your well, connection.
1: I think I, I think I
0: lost him. It just went out at the end there.
2: Yeah, sorry guys. Um, oh. Let me. Let I me mean, try and move again. I was trying. I was trying to connect via five G, but um, Twitter Spaces is not accepting five G as a valid connection, unfortunately. Um, how are we doing here? Yeah, you sound good. Okay. All right. Cool.
3: Kane, you had you had touched on a really interesting point. I wanted to circle back to um, around. Um, We kind of were hinting at this, but basically, you know, as more and more financial data comes on chain and that data becomes more and more visible, I'm actually curious, like, do you think the odds of us having very large financial recessions or kind of financial collapses gets kind of arbitraged out? The way I look at it is, you know, in this new paradigm shift, you're going to have real time information known by all counterparties to where they can arbitrage out any risks that may be popping, popping up and it'll become a much more efficient market. And so I'm curious, like just kind of from a 10,000 foot level, what, what are the like philosophical views that do you think that that has for, like a global
2: economy? I, I think that, um, you know, markets uh, tend to get more efficient over time. Um, and I think that as we um, kind of introduce new tools, you know, the internet obviously being, being you know, kind of the most recent transformative one uh, that, you know, we end up with with more efficient markets. Um, obviously crypto has the power to be even more efficient, I think, than, you know, the change that was kind of brought on by, by um, you know, digitization and, and the internet. Um, but it's going to take time uh, because you're going to have to transition a whole bunch of legacy markets to, um, you know, this new platform. So I think the, the kind of transitional period could, you know, create a, a situation where, um, you know, maybe you have even more volatility uh then, then you know we kind of have now uh, but eventually you find it like a new stable equilibrium gotcha
3: um yeah I know, I know we're running short on time so i just want to pivot real quick to talk about um some of the future of synthetics uh could you kind of expand on the futures launch that's up and coming like what are some of the details that we can kind of expect to, to see from that and the timelines
2: Yeah. So uh, the most recent update that I've read was that uh, Futures is is probably going to launch tomorrow, I think. So we're like maybe 24 hours or 36 hours out. Um, Don't quote me on that, though, because, uh, you know, our releases tend to be a little bit flexible, but I'm pretty confident it's it's coming out, um, you know, in the next uh, next day or so. Um, It's going to be... I guess like a beta launch. Um, so uh, we're going to have uh, open interest caps um, across markets um, to keep like the total open interest um, below about 50 million um, uh, like globally. Um, so I think it's like 20 million and 20 million on BTC and ETH um, and then uh, about 2 million on uh, LINK, which is the third asset that will be tradable. Um, and then, you know, once we've got some empirical data about, you know, trading um, and, and how, kind of the interest rate um, funding mechanism that we've uh, built works in in practice um, that, you know, we'll tweak some of the parameters and, and start to scale it up. Gotcha.
3: And then kind of just saying on the topic of, you know, future drops and the roadmap, is there anything on the roadmap
2: for 2022 that you're you're most excited for? So I think once futures launches um, and once we start to roll out uh, a wider range of assets, so um, there's a bunch of new assets that just launched on Optimism, um, thanks to Chainlink, um, we'll have you know a, a, a range of different assets that are tradable within um, futures. You know we'll have futures for um, you know things like Solana and, and you know, Uni and a whole bunch of different assets, um, which I think is going to be really cool. Um, post that the next biggest change that's coming um, is this transition to Synthetix V3, um, which is a completely new architecture, new platform. Um, All of the existing components of the system are going to be redesigned, Um, so it's going to be a much more efficient um, system than than it is today, Um, and we're going to have a a number of different uh, kind of features and and things that uh, we haven't been able to build um, in the existing system. Um, so, you know, we might have like exotic assets. So, for example, right now, if you don't have um, a deeply liquid market that you can pull an Oracle out of, you can't support it within Synthetix. Uh, but within synthetics V3, um, it might be possible to kind of bootstrap liquidity for more exotic assets and we'll be able to test out things like, you know, um, a Bitcoin VIX. Uh, synth and, and you know all kinds of other cool things uh, that just hasn't been possible um previously because uh you you might not you know if you don't have an oracle for it then it can't be supported in the current platform
1: you kind of answered all my all my questions kane super or chase do you guys have any more questions for for kane
0: no i just wanted to say thank you to him for coming out and um taking the time out of your day to talk to us yeah
3: uh, plus one to that um got all my questions answered and uh, props to you for hopping on this space after traveling from new york to australia that's uh that's
2: quite the leg yeah it was it was definitely uh it was definitely a trip but i'm kind of used to at this point um to be honest uh so yeah i mean thanks you know thanks for having me guys it was really fun um apologies for the the internet um not sure what's going on there gotta go check my router i actually should probably even more importantly i'm just looking underneath my um my data cabinet at um my uh eth2 rig and noticing that the power's off so um i'm probably getting uh, offline penalties right now as i speak um so i better go and do that after i get off this call and go and fix it my e2 staking woes continue
1: <laughs> Wait, can I, I actually have one more question. How how real is the the brother rivalry between between the four of you? Uh,
2: pretty real. I think Kieran was literally just trolling me this morning because I missed out on some deal, um, on some new game or or something, and he asked me if I if I got an angel check in. I said no, and he said I was NGMI. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty much a constant battle. <laughs> that's so funny
1: because uh kieran said we would never get you on the, the, the show
2: <laughs> that's hilarious yeah yeah, yeah.
1: so now we, we got we got three out of the four on
2: <laughs> yeah, nice nice awesome i guess well now it's gonna it's gonna depend on uh how many uh listens uh each of them gets i suppose right i'm sure he'll be trolling me if uh if this doesn't get as many listens as uh his appearance <laughs> We'll we'll keep it on the download. We'll keep this. We won't share out too many stats about who got more downloads or views. <laughs> it does it does probably explain why he's not here. He's trying to keep the numbers down as low well as possible.
1: I think I lost him at the end there, but Kane really really appreciate you just coming on and, and chilling with us. It's super cool. Uh, you're always welcome back anytime on the space, and we appreciate the opportunity,
2: man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, maybe we can follow up after we get uh, some um, data about futures and, and see how it's performing. Yeah, yeah. For sure. let's do it. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for having me.
1: Absolutely. Stay based, everyone. Stay based. Peace.
0: Based Space.